Blog Talk Radio. Yeah. 
all for Benny breaking the record. You know, I was fortunate enough to have it for 40 years. Records are made to be broken. He was thoroughly behind Benny Snell, surpassing him on the all-time rushing record list in UK history. You mentioned the fact that Benny got the record on that 12-yard touchdown run, which you couldn't script that any better. That turned out to be the go-ahead score. Uh, that gave Kentucky the 27 points that they needed to win by three. Um, me being a Cowboys fan, Emmitt Smith, of course, all-time leading rushing in the NFL, I remember Brad Sham, who's the voice of the Cowboys, talking about it because the Cowboys weren't that good. You know, it was past the, the years of the dynasty and winning Super Bowls. And the run that Emmitt Smith broke it on, he was kind of losing his balance, kind of stumbling. You didn't know if he was actually going to get enough yards before he went down and was tackled. And so from Brad Sham's perspective as a broadcaster, it was a kind of a choppy, a herky-jerky, not the greatest call for a broadcaster to have a record of that magnitude be broken. Tom Leach called in to his own show this morning. I think Larry Bott was hosting it. And you know, for him personally, it was great to be able to call it as it's a touchdown, basically untouched as he ran into the history books, uh, getting that touchdown. So from his perspective, he had a lot smoother calls them. I got Brad Sham did calling him Smith. So you, I mean, it was just unbelievable. And Benny overcome with emotion because, I mean, he's got personality for days, but just to be in the moment of what he had just done, all the hard work that went into him getting to that point, you could kind of see the emotion come out of him there. Uh, I think we all kind of exhaled a little bit. <laughs> Give McSorley credit, they made a run. I think we all kind of were just like, yeah, and uh, had to kind of regroup and, and put the foot back on the gas and, like you mentioned, get those yards that they needed to close out the game. We saw Benny do that against Vanderbilt. You know, they won that game 14-7, to got a touchdown drive they needed to ice it. They had been sputtering a little bit when Penn State made their run, you know, getting three and out, three and out, three and out. Final drive. Penn State doesn't get the ball again, and they're able to run it out, and it's over. You know, James Franklin's holding on to timeouts and chose to go for a field goal to make it 27-24. You know, Penn State fans were upset over that, but they never had a chance to go for the game-tying drive or the game-winning drive because Kentucky's offense did not give them the ball again after that three-minute, 50-second mark, whenever it was that they got it for that last time. Now he's being a little bit a little bit by kicking that field goal. But up until that point, the previous three or four Kentucky drives, he's got to be thinking, we're going to get the ball back with some time on the clock. This is the offense, as you said, that's sputtered. And that, to me, the big time drive by the offense, equal to what we saw at uh, Missouri, when we needed to get it done. Because everybody in the whole college football world knew it's going to be Benny. And when you do it with all eyes on you, that can even feel special. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, well, I almost lost my And we, uh, we referenced the, uh, the Missouri game. 
Um, the second half where they just put up the defense, picked that shutout, uh, eight three and outs, I think. Missouri was old for the second half on third down conversion. There was a stretch, you know, as Kentucky's building their lead, the defense kind of duplicated that in the first half on Tuesday. Uh, Josh Allen had a couple sacks, uh, and you know, McSorley was out of sorts. They were dropping a lot of passes. They were getting pressure on him. Penn State couldn't really do anything. So they, they put the clamps on him early, uh, had a few little, you know, scores late, but then they were able to, to hang on for the win. But they, they were kind of duplicating that second half of the Missouri game early in the first half against Penn State because, um, you know, they were just putting up donuts and, and not able to get anything going. Lynn Bowden did his thing yet again with reference to the Missouri game. You can't talk about the Missouri game without Lynn Bowden's punt return to bring that game to 14 to 9 to set up the game winning drive later. He put him up 10 to nothing with uh, the punt return that he got yesterday, and Kentucky had already gotten a stop on a fake punt attempt by, uh, by Penn State. So, I mean, the, the special teams was wiped out. And they had a huge role in the game. A lot of people mentioned it. They won by three. Well, Josh Allen blocked a field goal. <laughs> Penn State missed a field goal. Kentucky got a stop on a fake punt. Then Bowden ran a punt back. So, I mean, it, once again, all phases of the game playing an integral part. Well, and, and that's the beauty of this year. It was everything that you kind of touched on for this year happened yesterday. It was, as you said, all phases. What we have seen from Kentucky teams recently, Kentucky teams in the past, was we are voted up on offense. So we have to score 40 points a game. You know, I'm thinking about how many years. we got to score some points. Then we've been defensive oriented. Like, look at the Rich Brooks years and all those guys that are now anchoring, you know, NFL defenses. Well, we've we got to shut you down. Well, the beauty of yesterday and this season is we've had special team moments, you know, with Lynn Bowden. We've had, uh, again, not just the Missouri game, although that was a highlight. There's been times when the defense has been like that. There's been times when the offense was dominant. And so that's what we saw yesterday was just a combination of a whole year of, of in all phases of the game. And that's what is going to make this year special. You know, you know uh, there was a debate, you know, who's your MVP going to be? 
Welcome back to Cast Talk Wednesday. Benny Hardy, Terry T.B. Brown. Another episode of Cast Talk Wednesday. Appreciate everybody tuning in. Tons of Citrus Bowl talk, rightfully so. We're also going to get into some cats and cars. T.B. is Jefferson County native, born and raised in Louisville. He's in the Young Center covering the game. Witness Kentucky 71-58 victory uh, firsthand. Definitely get his perspective on that. But we are just reflecting on the uh, Citrus Bowl win, 27-24 over Penn State in the Citrus Bowl down in Orlando, Florida. Kentucky gets 10 wins for the first time since 1977. Got a couple of little comments, too, coming in on Facebook Live. Um, Coming from my cousin, Stephen Hardy Hunt. Um, let's see. Oh, I I lost you on the Cowboys talk. I was just making the comparison from a announcing perspective. Tom Leach got to announce Benny Snell breaking Kentucky's rushing record and passing Sonny Collins on a nice, smooth, clean 12-yard touchdown run. Brad Sam made the call when Emmett Smith broke Walter Payton's record to be the NFL's all-time leading rusher. And Emmett kind of got hit and lost his balance and stumbled and, you know, was kind of tumbling. And it made for a choppy, herky-jerky Izzy. Oh, yeah, he did break the record. So just from that perspective, Stephen, that's what I was talking about. From the broadcasting guys, how Beanie had a nice run right at the gut untouched to the end zone, and it was easier to call that record-breaking run, which happened to also be a touchdown run. Uh, as opposed to Emmett's run when he passed Walter Payton. And you also ask, are we worried about other coaches kind of coming after Mark Stoops now that he's done what he's done in the six years at Kentucky? Well, and we'll get to this too, TB, because it was crazy. His name popped up for Miami because he's got connections down there. He coached there. He coached also at Florida State. He was the defensive coordinator at Florida State before he came to Kentucky. Justin Rowland said that he was on the short list. He's been on our show. Justin keeps up the recruiting as well at Rivals. Says Stoops was, according to the Miami sources, on the short list. They ended up going with their defense coordinator, Manny Diaz. So if other schools come calling, it, it'll, it'll be what it'll be. He's got a nice contract worked out. Got a... Incentives in place for when you get eight wins. I think that was $250,000. Um, I don't know if it was every win after eight you got that, but he definitely got another bonus for winning the bowl game yesterday. And there was a bonus in place had they won the East, which they played Georgia for the East. They finished second uh, at five and three, which that was the first time they had won five conference games in oodles of years as well. But <laughs> it's, been a while. it's a good problem to have if you got other schools wanting your coach. Now, he's, you know, this this year really probably, like you said, TB, should have erased all the doubters as far as those who are a little bit sketchy and still like, eh, I don't know about him. You know, a couple seven and five years, we should have won nine last year before the game. Now you come back and win 10, even those people, if they are rational at all, should be like, okay, well, hey, he's, what he's done here is remarkable. 
And it truly is. It's historic because you have to be in you have to be in your fifties to have witnessed what we've just seen the last time. I mean, if you were born in '67, you would have been ten and old enough to really kind of be aware of what was going on with that '77 team going ten and one. You know, you're ten. You know, you're oh yeah, we won the SEC. We went ten and one. Only team they lost to was Baylor. Mike Singletary played out of his mind, and it was on the road at Baylor. So you got to be 51 years old at minimum to be cognizant of these accomplishments happening prior to this year. And that's what Mark Stoops has just done. Yeah, and, and keep in mind, you know, we got to the, you know, we got to eight wins, you know, in a, in in eleven games, so you can't say well they played extra games because eight wins was a was a mark for a long time and and, and you know, we were eight and three, so uh, you, you can't devalue what has happened. You know my right. thing is mm-hmm. ten wins were easy to do. It would not it would have happened before now. You know in the forty <laughs> years the SEC's had some down years that we could have taken advantage of. And and so looking forward, uh, Justin Rowland, who you talked about, he had a, a very nice point about Stoops leaving. And, you know, I don't think anybody's going to say what another person's going to do, but the Kentucky job is not that bad of a job. Right mm-hmm. now, the East, the East is manageable. Everybody understands that Georgia has separated in the East. But the way our schedule works out, we don't have to play the big boys from the West every year. You know, Mississippi State is our permanent Western rival. So, you know, you keep Alabama and LSU uh, and Auburn, you know, kind of on the other side, it's not that bad. You know, it's it's not like we got blown out against Texas A&M. So the Kentucky job for what Stoops and company have done is not that bad of a job. You're playing in the SEC, right? You're, you've now got an athletic director who, who's, you know, giving you what you need financially. It's not a bad job. Now, I'm not saying he's not going to pursue other options or anything like that because, you know, I don't know. But it, it, it's not that bad. So I think it'll take something special more than the dumpster fire in Miami because, <laughs> you know, Miami uh, – uh, it, it's not what it, it's not the U. Let's just be honest. It's not the U. Uh, Miami people talk about programs losing mojo. They haven't been right since they lost the Fiesta Bowl against Ohio State and that Craig Krenzel team with Maurice Corrette. You know they mm-hmm. haven't been. You know after that one team in 2000 that had like 18 <laughs> NFL starters on it. You know that ridiculous <laughs> 2000 team. They haven't been that Miami since. We have not seen that dominant Miami. So I, I don't, do you walk into that situation on name only? Because Miami was only really great for about 20 years, you know, from the uh, mid-'80s to the 2000s. And even before Butch Davis, you know, there was that gap where they weren't very good, you know. Uh, so it's not like going to Alabama – uh, is Miami still – can Miami still be Miami? I don't know. You have to look at that. So I'm not saying he's going to leave, but it is a nice problem to have that now we have a coach that other people 
you know, he's going to get mentioned. You know, it's, it's, that, yeah. that to me is a, is, a, is a good problem to have. Mm-hmm. And even when Miami was Miami, of course, everybody now, well, not everybody, but more and more teams outside of your blue bloods are pouring money into the facilities. We've seen what Kentucky has done, and they are comparable to any program now. You know, you know, Alabama and, and Tennessee and all these other schools have been doing it for a long time. But the Orange Bowl was a dump, even while they were good. I mean, I think they've redone Hard Rock Cafe Stadium or whatever now. But from a facility standpoint and, and all that, Miami was was kind of lagging behind even when they were in their heyday. Well, the the issue was, and if you watch that 30 for 30 on the U, both of them, particularly part one, was they had a game plan of keeping those Miami kids local. You know, all those neighborhoods, you know, around Coral Gables and around uh, Miami Beach, that was their focal point. Well, now, you know, Miami became Miami, we saw. Florida became Florida. Florida State was Florida State. Well, then you've got – now you've got UCF, USF, and now you've got everybody and their brother trying to get pipelines to Florida. So kids that were like, man, I'm going to make it to the U, well, you don't necessarily have to go to the U to get, to get noticed, you know, to, to win championships. So uh, I don't know if Miami is as desirable as, as you know, the three-time or four-time, whatever champions they are. Uh, I just don't know if it's that desirable uh, any longer. So, uh, yeah. again, I, I'm not saying Stoops is going to be here for 20 years. I don't know. But it, it, uh-huh. he's in a position now where he doesn't have to jump at a quote-unquote big-name job just because they come calling. Yeah, right, <laughs> exactly. And me, oh, look, I'm a geography guy, and I'm over the fact that just because your conference says a particular part of the country, it doesn't mean you're going to have all the schools be geographically accurate. I mean, you know, West Virginia and the Big 12 represent the Big 10, Missouri and the SEC, for that matter. I, I get that. But USF, I still, I would never understand how USF, University of South Florida, can be in Tampa and not in Miami. That will never make any sense. Central Florida being Orlando, I got it. But USF in Tampa, which is just the central yeah. as Orlando, that that just doesn't make sense. And I just have to always that just hurts me. <laughs> you know, they can do what they want to do. <laughs> I've never quite understood that one. Let's talk about Manny Diaz because we already we, you know we. Veered all over into Miami because Stoops was on that short list because he had connections there. Manny Diaz, old Mark Rickstaff, bright young upcoming coach, he's defensive coordinator for Miami, gets hired by Temple, first head coaching job. So he's back and forth between Miami and Philly, and you know how the, the end of the season for. Any coach is ridiculous, especially if you're still trying to recruit, especially if you're preparing for a bowl. And then adding the fact that now you are becoming a head coach somewhere else and you're still trying to do your job where you are, still trying to get 
recruiting and stuff going where you're going to be, I can't imagine how hectic it is. Right? So you know it's going to, you know, he's on the planes back and forth. He's, you know, running on fumes the whole nine. Goes to Temple, does the press conference, puts the little tea brooch thing on his suit jacket, and, you know, he's ready to get the ball rolling after their bowl game. Mark reaches up and retires, and that's where we got the Stoops bid on the short list for Miami, and which is a good problem to have, like we just mentioned. And now Manny Diaz has to say, okay, Temple, well, I, it's been real. I would have enjoyed being your coach, but I'm going to give you all some money and buy myself back out of it so I can go back to Miami, which, look, you <laughs> – you can't you can't blame him because of course Miami should still be a better job, but it's not the U that we grew up with. But we also people can't be getting mad at players if they're putting themselves you know out there wanting to transfer as well when you see a coach that's able to do this. What is happening is the NCAA. And, you know, it's becoming harder and harder and harder to have all these rules for players when coaches can do what they want to do. Now, I'm not saying that Danny Diaz or any coach can't change their mind or whatever. Yeah. But mm-hmm. so, can, so can kids, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and we've seen it. We've seen coaches. And, oh, what coach was it that was talking about transfers, but he left for a new job and didn't even coach his bowl game. I'm trying to remember who it was. So you've got all these examples of coaches ditching their team for a better job, right? We see it all the time. And that's okay. But kids get into a situation where – you know, they're too far from home, whatever it is, but they get penalized if they want to go to a greener pasture. It's getting harder and harder for the NCAA to, to, to pass that on. More and more people are just saying, this, it, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, so, again, I, I think coaches, if you want to work wherever you want to work and they'll hire you, I'm fine with it. I, I'm not saying penalize mm-hmm. coaches or anything like that. I'm really not, um, but I would love to see a little bit more player movement uh, because what has happened, and and this is a segue on a little, you know, I'll, I'll get on my soapbox here, is we have gotten into the deification of coaches, right, where, where coaches are all-knowing and all this, that, and the other, right? And that's how you have situations like what happened at Ohio State. With Urban Meyer, if if, if the, the if the football coach can't be questioned, or the basketball coach can't be questioned, every time that every time you get a coach like that, sometimes they go too far, and that's what happens. If the coach is all powerful, all knowing, well, no, 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 no. The, the the coach is an employee of the university, just like everybody else, and needs to to follow the same kind of rules. So. Uh, there's got to be some kind of balance put in about player movement and coach movement and that kind of thing. If a coach bails, people should be able to transfer. 
that that would be my two cents. Yeah, right. And they're uh, dead locked in the letters of intent, and they're just left in the lurch. And, and look, I'm not foolish, foolish enough to believe that if Coach Cal left at the end of this year, you know, that the kids are just going to come to Kentucky just because it's Kentucky. Look, that day is gone. Mm-hmm. Like, the kids that grew up in right. Kentucky, oh, yeah, they'll want to play for Kentucky. But no school is like that. It's the coach. The coach moves the needle. I, you need to understand that. And, and you know, you hear these talking, people, talking heads talk about, oh, you commit to the school. No, no, you don't. No, no, you don't. You, you, that, that's, that's not the way it works. I, I, you know, I mean, this, we need to get out of this Pollyanna notion of college athletics, how it used to be or how we thought it used to be, and we need to look at it mm-hmm. as it is. There, there's too much money in college athletics to, to, to have this imbalance between uh, the administrators and the players. And, and I'm not talking about everybody, all, all you know, pay the players. You know, there, there's, got to, there's other things you can do uh, besides paying the players to make it more equitable and make it more fair. And if the schools, you know, continue to sell itself, if that was still the case, then Wally Cousins would have been at Memphis. They would have been playing for Mama B's alma mater under, what, Kastner? If that was the case? Under John Kastner, yeah. Yeah, so who knows if they would have become the players they are, but they would have been still uh, Memphis Tigers. Uh, but, yeah, they were committed to Coach Cal, and Kentucky benefited because he made the move their freshman year, right before they became freshmen here. Yeah, so we need to, at some point, uh, the adults in the room, uh, you know, just need to say, hey, look, this this is what needs to happen. I mean, this, this you know, this, it, it, this whole system just needs a revamping. Again, because a coach can just up and, you know, okay, yeah, I'm good. You know, somebody will cover, you know, these boosters will cover the, the, the penalty and, you know, and I'll be able to move on to um, to whatever. It, it's just, it's not equitable. It's not fair. And it's something that needs to, you know, needs to take a look at. So, uh, but, you know, I, to me, and uh, segue into something else, I think this bowl season has been, a pretty good bowl season. Uh, it, it helps with Kentucky playing on New Year's Day, but uh, I haven't seen all the bowls. But the, most of the bowls I've watched, it's been some pretty pretty good games. Yeah, yeah, I haven't watched all of them, uh, but yeah, there's and 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 just keeping it back, and it's that's what makes yesterday so good. The closer the New Year's we get, the more I do tune in and, and pay attention. You're always going to watch uh, the two playoff games, you know, Alabama and you know, whoever they beat up on. Alabama, Oklahoma, and Clemson, Notre Dame. Always going to pay attention to those. And leading up to it, I'll kind of watch more. So, I, you know, like Marshall and San Diego State, I may not have been totally locked in on stuff like that, you know, those – Initial games, but you have Kentucky, like you said, thrown in to the mix on New Year's Day, where you see 
Georgia playing Texas, Ohio State playing Washington. You know, big-time schools, big-time names, and there Kentucky is right there uh, in the mix. Kentucky is playing a blue blood. For those, some people are more caught up in conference pride for the bowl games than others. Definitely like to keep a check on what the SEC is doing. Those who aren't in the SEC definitely like to keep up with it, especially if the SEC struggles in the bowls. Oh, look, the SEC is only two and three or whatever. So I always hope the SEC does good just so you don't have to hear those people from other conferences trying to throw any kind of shade they can. But you got Kentucky on New Year's Day, first time in 20 years, Plan another name program, plan a Penn State. Historically speaking, look, national championships in the past, we know on the field what they've done. We know what happened also negatively off the field. But historically, you've seen Penn State playing Alabama and, you know, Penn, uh, Florida State and Joe Pye competing for titles and all that. We, we grew up with that. You know, DJ Dozier and Kurt Warner and LeVar Arrington. And, and you can rattle off the names because we, we saw them because they were – in our consciousness. They were in front of our eyes. The Kentucky, playing on New Year's Day, gets a win for the SEC against the Penn State. You know, so not only are they there and just happy to be there, they also go out and take care of business. Uh, I watched Feinbaum today, and, and Feinbaum talking about Kentucky. Had Matt Jones on there talking about Kentucky football. Just barely mentioned a little bit of the Louisville win at the end because Kentucky football, is, you know, had the celebration with Mark Stoops. They showed an interview with Benny Snell. That's the respect that it kind of gets you, and that's what they want. You, you, you just we just tired of being laughed at. <laughs> we tired of being just a joke to everybody not associated with Kentucky, not fans of Kentucky, people that don't care about Kentucky. You want to be taken seriously, and that's what this program is in the process of doing and, and have done it quite well these past six years. You mentioned they haven't slipped back as far as getting wins, you know, two two wins, five, five, seven, seven. Now you jump it up to ten. And maybe they slip down to nine or eight next year. Um, you mentioned the tough loss at Texas A&M. Actually, before this schedule came out, I thought it would be the home-and-home home part where you would have to play Texas A&M again in Lexington this year. Actually, Texas A&M slides off, and you get Arkansas at home. So that's a, you know, that's a check mark in your favor on the schedule because Arkansas isn't you know, where they want to be. Got a second-year coach. They've been struggling the past couple of years. So that will be to Kentucky's advantage going into this coming season when you lose a Benny Snell and a Josh Allen and a lot of guys in the secondary. But they still uh, have a lot of good pieces in place from a recruiting standpoint to where they can kind of maintain a 7-8, possibly 9-win season every year. You don't expect them to drop back down to 5 or 4 wins next year. They're getting to the point where they are reloading. A lot of these guys that we mentioned in this upcoming recruiting class from Louisville and other places, but a lot of good defensive players who could potentially, you know, not saying they're going to be Josh Allen, but they can play that role. 
from a physique standpoint, if they put in the work, if they develop. So Coach Merrill gets a lot of credit for this too, as well as Coach Stoops. They're getting it to where they can just reload when they do lose guys to graduation or leaving for the NFL early. And that's, that's a good position to be in. Instead of dropping off the face of the earth and having to pick yourself up from your bootstraps over and over again, they're getting to where they can just maintain what they built. Yeah, and, and and that's what we're talking about. Uh, we, there's depth from game to game. There's depth over the course of the season. But you want to build it so it's next man up next year. No one's going to do what Josh mm-hmm. Allen did. That shouldn't be the expectation. No one's going to be Benny right. Snell. But we've got A.J. Rose and Cavazier Smoke that can fulfill. The two of them can do that role, right? We've got other guys Kavosi. on defense that can step up. Uh on the defensive side of the ball. That was the impressive part to me was it wasn't just Josh Allen. And, yeah, I know he gets a lot of the attention and everything, but it it wasn't as if teams could just double-team him and then run to the other side because, hey, you know, there's a wall of defenders right there. So, again, it goes back to I think this program is built for the long haul. Now, if, if, if Coach Stoops is able to get another nine-win or ten-win season and another nine- or ten-win season, at that point, the, the big-time jobs have to say, look at this guy. You know, if he's able to, to double or triple up the number of ten-win seasons in Kentucky, this guy knows how to build a program. Because, you know, building in building a program in the SEC, I know, you know, people don't like to get tribal with it, but building, doing an SEC at, at a school like Kentucky, that's amazing. So, Let's enjoy the ten wins. Let's get ready for next year. And 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 man, this is special. So you gotta you gotta soak it all. Yeah, in. absolutely. And to his credit, he was Stoops was stubborn to his credit as far as you know. We're gonna get some guys from Ohio and use that more and make it more like Kentucky North guys who won't be super far from home. Uh, go up in the Big Ten country where he's from. And get a Jordan Jones and you know, Edwards and all those guys, CJ Conrad. But he knew he saw he he had the vision in place when he got the job of what he could do here. And I remember when he got hired, I'm like, yo, okay, cool. We're getting the Florida State defensive coordinator. I mean, you know, he hadn't been a head coach, but I'm like, cool. We actually got, you know, and he just won a, a national championship down there with Jameis as a defensive coordinator. And I'm like, wow, okay. And, you know, going to take your lumps because the cupboard was horribly bare when he got here. Um, first year head coach, you got to, you got to, there's no way to get experience until you get experience. You got to grow into the position. No matter how prepared you are, you, you don't get used to doing it until you do it. And, the rough patch where, you know, the couple five-win seasons where you're trying to just get one win to get to that bowl game and, and couldn't beat Louisville those years. Uh, the one year you had a big lead on Louisville, like 21-3 to three or something like that, couldn't hold the lead. And the groaning and moaning and discontent, you know, started to surface and manifest itself. Uh, he rode through that. Mitch Barnhart backed him through that. And now you see – 
the benefits of that. You know, he stuck to his, you know, model of what, how he wanted to do it, and now you see him, it, it, it's paying off. And you see the storm got weathered, and, and look how happy we are and, and how proud everybody was. The 30,000 Kentucky fans that were down there, everybody all across the state and country that were, were watching and, and enjoying everything they just saw take place yesterday. Exactly, exactly. And, and, and Stoops deserves all the credit. He deserves a, a victory lap around the Commonwealth because a lot of people wanted him gone. A lot of people yeah. didn't have any faith in what he was doing. And and that's a testament to him and his staff and to to the kids that he recruited that, that put blood, sweat, and tears. And, and, and let's talk about recruiting a little bit. Recruiting, the numbers have gotten better. Since he's been here, the you know if you're a recruiting type person, but it's not just that. It's you know Josh Allen was what a two star, is that you know had Kentucky offer from Kentucky and you know I don't know uh, Devry like I don't know what what, what, you know where else, but to get a to get a two star like that yeah, and and turn him into Look, my Niners are picking second in the draft come April. Uh, yeah, they if, if they don't if he's still available at two and we don't draft him, I'm driving to Santa Clara myself and having a talk with John Lynch. Like, yeah, we need this guy with the way the NFL is going. Yeah, you need somebody that's going to put pressure on the quarterback. You 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 need what he brings. So. You know, the one thing that, you know, we talked about last year at the draft, no Kentucky players drafted, none. And the only SEC school to have that happen to. And uh, a lot of the folks here in my neck of the woods, uh, Cardinal fans, were chirping about it. To go from that to probably having the top two or three picks along with where Benny goes, along with where Mike Edwards goes. I mean, there could be three or four guys that go in those first couple of days of the draft. And, and that's a testament yeah. to recruiting. That's a testament to developing. Because, again, Benny, it's not like he had a lot of offers, you know, when he came out of high school. Right. So uh, the guys are talented, yes, and, 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 uh, and chose recruiting and developing of the talent. And I definitely want to talk about um... – yeah, maybe a little bit about your four nines before the show was over with. Definitely the uh, the place they call home, Levi Stadium, because it will get to host some postseason football uh, coming up this Monday. You know, when we get Niners, it'll be Alabama Clemson, but it will get to at least have a taste of some postseason football. So congratulations to that area of the country. Uh, we'll definitely get to to that in a little bit as well. So. Good for the Bay Area people who get to see some playoff football, just be college level instead of Gold Rush Niners. But uh, y'all, I mean, y'all might get Josh Allen. It's, it's definitely um, possible. And and look, I get the little fans trying to throw shade. You had and there were no guys in the draft last year, but they chose to come back. Some of them could have still. I mean, Josh Allen could have went last year. I mean, but he he stayed and his stock soared. Uh, Edwards and those guys could have went. Um, they chose not to, but of course, you know, 
opposing fan bases are just gonna say, you know, you didn't get nobody, and that's that's fine. But like you mentioned now, Kentucky will be right up there with all the other any other big name program. Kentucky will have you know comparable numbers to you. I mean, they won't have many Alabama, but they'll they, whoever gets drafted from Kentucky. You know, Bunchy Stallings is gonna get drafted, and talked about him. He was all American and uh, pancaking people all year long. Kentucky's going to be well represented in the draft, all up and down the rounds, the days. Uh, it's gonna that's going to be another feather in the cap for Coach Marrow and, and Coach Stoops on the recruiting trail. When when all these young recruits see all these guys get their names called, right? It it, it this is going to be I, I think the 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 year we look back with our kids and say, this is what got it started. This is what got Kentucky to be, uh, you know, a top 25 program year in, year out. This is going to be it. I believe. I mean, I could be wrong. I've been wrong about a few things, but it's just got a different feel than uh, than everything. Definitely. We mentioned uh, Cousins and Wall and how they would have been Memphis Tigers at Cal State there. Um it's been a season to forget in Washington for the Wizards um, for a while. Like everybody was on the trading block. Anything that kind of could go wrong has gone wrong. And while it's going to miss the rest of the season, have some heel surgery, and because this season for them wasn't going to be amount to anything anyway, go ahead and miss your six to eight months and, and try to get stuff ready to go for the following season. So speedy recovery to John Wall, and uh, hopefully he'll be back and things will be better from a chemistry standpoint and a team standpoint for him next year. Yeah, uh, definitely want, uh, you know, he to have a speedy recovery, but he, this, the, the Wizards are like what the Clippers used to be and Clippers kind of are where it's just dysfunction from ownership on down. Like it's just, and I'm, you know, I'm not going to say that the, the, the wall was blameless in what's going on, but it was just a bad situation from the, from the get go. And, you know, I think it was fool's gold that they were in the East and were able to sneak into the playoffs uh, the couple of times they did, but, Washington's just been a dysfunctional franchise uh, since the Gilbert Arenas days. I mean, you have to go back a while to find a competent uh, Washington Wizards Bullets organization. So uh, I don't know how they fix it, but what they've done to this point is not getting the job done. You mentioned dysfunction, and there's no better way to segue (laughs) once we're on the subject of dysfunction to a proud franchise that has more often than not haven't had to deal with dysfunction. And I'm talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers. What is going on with them? Uh, you had the Le'Veon Bell stuff, and you know, he was, didn't even play this year, been franchised for years and years. Antonio Brown is tripping up there, uh, been tripping all year. Dust-ups with Roethlisberger, who's no saint. Uh, issues with Mike Tomlin. 
um, just opting to just miss practices and skip out on games. Didn't even play yesterday in a must-win game for them to have a shot at making the playoffs. They still need to help from the Browns, who lost to Baltimore. So Cleveland, I mean, Pittsburgh still missed the playoffs. But he uh, got into it allegedly with Ben Roethlisberger, according to everybody covering the Steelers from the Post-Gazette and all that. Threw a football at him and didn't miss practice, and, but showed up for the game thinking he's going to play. And then they said, you're not going to play. And so he left at halftime of the game. It's an absolute mess. And look, we, look, <laughs> you and I both have had one of the most diva wide receivers ever play for both of our teams. He started his career, T.O., with your Niners, spent some years with my Cowboys, antics, you know, I want the ball. You got to have that ego. You got to have that confidence. You know, you got to have that belief in yourself. Any receiver worth their salt is that way. Some just blow it out of proportion more than others. And that's kind of where Antonio Brown is at right now. Uh, he hasn't demanded a trade, but allegedly he has asked to be traded. Who knows? What the Roonies are going to do as far as that goes. I was watching Sports Center the other day, and Ryan Clark, who I think has become a pretty good analyst, former Steeler, was talking about how they had decided not to uh, lock up Mike Wallace, who I think went on to play for the Dolphins, wide receiver, to a long-term contract. And this was Antonio Brown's rookie season. And as a rookie, Antonio was just getting into it, with Clark in practice, just shouting at Dick LeBeau, the legendary defensive coordinator, just at it with everybody. And Ryan Clark said this on SportsCenter. He said, we almost came to blows in practice because he was trying to go at everybody. And he, Clark says, I told them then, I said, if you give this guy a lot of money, he's going to be a monster. If he was already acting a fool as a rookie, and now you fast forward to what we got going on now and the communication problem, discipline problem is ugly up there and it's, it's dysfunction at its finest. And for a proud franchise like the Steelers, look, you expect this from the Raiders currently, not the Raiders. Well, even when the Raiders are good, Al Davis always has some stuff going. The mess we see going with Gruden, Tom Cable, all those years, aside from the Super Bowl year when your boy Rice was there, you expect it from the Raiders, maybe even the Jets, if they're just kind of quiet with it. But the Steelers, you usually don't associate with all this kind of stuff going on, but yet it's happening up there. Yeah, it, it, it's, and it's strange. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about it, but in, in my money, for my money, I guess I should say, Something happened with the Steelers, you know, after that last Super Bowl appearance. Like, I think they stopped being the Steelers. Once they start letting Big Ben throw the ball 40 times a game, to me that changed the dynamic of of that team uh, and that franchise for, you know, whatever reason I could be wrong. But the Steelers just haven't felt like the Steelers since then. And – 
you know, I'm not going to get into the locker room dynamics, but you're exactly right. I never would have thought that it would be the Steelers having this dysfunction because even when they were good and not great, you know, in the late 80s and early 90s, you know, they had some oak, but they were still just, you know, they were the Steelers. And now they have been a circus for the last two or three seasons. Part of it was, was, you know, not paying guys. Part of it uh, with the whole Le'Veon Bell. They could have probably headed this off at the pass by either getting rid of him then, you know, a couple years ago, or paying him his money. I mean, that that was kind of their options, and they chose to, to keep dragging this out, you know, thinking they could maybe call his bluff. Well, and, and they did, you know. So, uh, you know, he, 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 you know, he said he wasn't going to play and didn't play. So uh, there's just – I think there's some things underneath the surface there that really um, – I mean, they're, they're going to have a whole long off season to figure it out. Have they stopped – have they tuned out Mike Tomlin? Is there something that ownership is going to have to do? I mean, you're right. Uh, I mean, the Steelers have more Super Bowls than anybody. You know, Uh for a a franchise like that um, to to be a a laughing stock, not in the playoffs, that's a a bitter uh, pill to swallow for uh, Steeler Nation. And I think – and look – as a, as a Cowboys fan, I don't care anything about the Steelers. But I think we even talked about it on the show. The the other famous TB besides yourself, the legendary Terry Bradshaw, former Steelers quarterback and analyst now, I think it was the beginning of, you know, training camp of this season, and he was kind of taking shots at Tomlin. Let it be known he wasn't a fan. I also talked about how they had left some Super Bowls on the table. And I was like, oh. And I was kind of hoping, well, maybe Tommy can have a good year just to kind of change Terry Bradshaw's opinions. Well, anything but happened. You mentioned them changing from being, you know, we remember the Steelers with, with Bettis and their lineup and just run the ball down your throat. And now being like to throw the ball around 40 times a game. Anyway, Hans Ward was their best receiver on those old school teams, and he was known for his blocking. He was a great receiver, but he was just as famous for his blocking as he was for his route running and his catching because they were a tough, gritty, pounded team. That was their identity. Franco Harris, same way. Even when you had Swan and Star Wars, you still had that tough running game and tough defense. But with them switching to a team that's going to throw it 40 times a game, Antonio Brown is the best receiver. He's the number one receiver. What's the problem? <laughs> that should be news to his ears. Okay, so they don't ground the town anymore. They're a throwing team. What you mad for? You're the, you're the best wideout. <laughs> that should be what you want. And yet we're still having all these issues and flare-ups and, and drama, and he was supposedly going to go on Instagram with, former Steeler James Harrison, and James Harrison was going to get the scoop on what was really going on, and, and Harrison don't care for Tomlin either. A mess. A mess. You know, it's not even TMZ or Bleacher Report or ESPN. It's not Lisa Salters and and um, Sal Palantonio or anybody up there going to interview Antonio. It's going to be former teammate James Harrison. 
who got axes and ground with Tomlin too. So it's just petty city, drama city, dysfunction city up there. And, and like you said, it's gonna be a long off season, and and we'll see if if they figure it out. Do they move him? Is his production worth all this headache? I think Tom was asking his press conference today. Is there a point where? The antics outweigh the production, and he said yes, bluntly said yes. So we'll see, because it, it, it's a it's a straight up mess. Yeah, and I think part of it uh, with some of the guys, and I think some of Harrison's kind of thing is all the off the field infractions that Ben dealt with, and you know I don't need to recap all because we all know what's out there. But the Steelers kind of were hands off with it. But when other people have issues, they get lambasted. And I think that, to me, is, is a, a, probably the biggest wedge, you know, uh, is how they have treated Ben Roethlisberger. Because yeah. we all know he, he's got two Super Bowls uh, on his resume, right? But we all know when they beat Seattle in Super Bowl forty. Ben wasn't throwing the ball 40 times a game. It was Troy Polamalu in the defense and Jerome Bettis. Okay, they rolled yeah. the buzz to that Super Bowl title. And I think, uh, because I've read an article, I can't remember where it was now, that, you know, when you look at Big Ben's contemporaries, yeah, he's got those Super Bowls, but is he that much better than like a Phillip Rivers? Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I think that part of it was maybe Ben thinking he's more of the franchise than he really is. I mean, so there's a lot of things, and I'm sure it'll all come out. Uh, everybody will, everybody's going to talk to somebody about it. So it's going to be interesting. <laughs> and on that note, just real quick, the last week, no, two weeks ago, because Pittsburgh played Cincinnati this this past Sunday, last game of the season. The next last game of the season, Pittsburgh was in New Orleans, and the week leading up to the game, they asked some kind of way, Saints defensive end Cam Jordan got asked about being or uh, something about he's a Hall of Famer. And the clip of it, it was just, you know, a beat reporter video of it and put it on Twitter from the locker room. And he said, so you're saying, you're saying Brotherburg's a Hall of Famer? What? And he, he said, I'll, I'll name a bunch of quarterbacks I'll put ahead of him. And he said, you know, Peyton, which he just retired, but he said he's in Peyton's era. He said, Peyton, A.A. Ron, somewhere Aaron Rodgers. He said, my guy, Drew Brees. And I think he said Phillip Rivers. And I think he said Eli, which uh, – but you just mentioned – a lot of people put Ben's contemporaries ahead of Ben. This is a guy who's fixing to go up against him on Sunday who is putting all these guys, including Eli, ahead of him. Um, and the Saints did, of course, win the game. But that whole locker room interview, because he just he basically had a sports talk discussion with the reporters about how he didn't think that much of Roethlisberger. I need to find it and tweet it out. But it was, it was very funny. Yeah. And, uh, you know what? I, I can't believe we're all the way in the second hour and we haven't touched on the Louisville-Kentucky basketball game. Oh, it's time to do it. It's time to do it. I knew, I knew Citrus Bowl would trump it, which 
Kentucky Woodland never gets trumped. But yesterday doesn't happen very often. First time in our lives. But yes, we got to go ahead well, and, and dive on in. Well, this is this is my point, and I'm glad it worked out like this because this just emphasizes my point. The Kentucky Louisville men's basketball game, to me, it will always be a rivalry. Just proximity and whatnot. But it's not competitive. I was talking to to Sean Smith uh, of uh, Go Big Blue Country after the game and some other folks, uh, Randy Newman of Big Blue Express, and I'm like, honestly, the only the only way this game becomes noteworthy is when Louisville wins. <laughs> That's the only time it's like, oh, oh, yeah. I mean, honestly, it's become to the point of now it's like Kentucky's going to win, and it's not even it's not even a thing. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I was joking with some of my Louisville friends because I forgot what account was tweeting out, you know, their memories, you know, their their Kentucky Louisville memories. I'm like, it's easy for you guys because you don't have that many wins. <laughs> and yeah, I'm saying that to drive the knife in, but but it's true. It's true. Think about it. The last decade of Kentucky Louisville basketball, right? They can point to the three point win at Yum when Malik Monk's three-point shot came up, right? Mm-hmm. And they no. beat the 2013 NIT team. That's it. That's it. They barely won that. Right, because Archie Goodwin was balling. I know he gets a lot of hell, <laughs> but he was balling that game. But but that's it. For a decade, that is it, right? Wow. Whereas on the Kentucky yeah. side, is it the 2012 Final Four? Is it Boogie getting a little too physical with swap side? Is it 2014 NCAA tournament when they were down 21 to nine and looked dead in the water? Is it that game? I mean, yeah. is it the 31 point butt kicking from last year? You know, honestly, it's just it's it's whole hump. And 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 some of the Louisville folks, if you see them on Twitter, like you know, this game will be more competitive because of you know Chris Mack's going to get used to it. Look, stop it. I almost said some bad words. Just stop it. The game has never been competitive. The series hasn't been competitive. Like, Patino was like 6-15 and 15 or something. And, and, and Denny Crone was 7-13 and 13 against Kentucky. Like, it, it's not competitive. It has never been competitive. Since 1983, it's 2-1. You know, all time, it's, you know, more than that. It's 36-16. to 16. That's not competitive. They want Chris Mack to do something that 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 Hall of Famer Denny Crum and Hall of Famer Rick Pitino couldn't do. We laugh. Uh, you and I talk about in your neck of the woods in Knoxville, and they talk about what Ray Mears did, and he was just 500 against Kentucky. Yeah. If Louisville gets a coach yeah. that's 500 against Kentucky, build a statue in front of Yum. I'll contribute. Put it right on Main Street. If he's just yeah. 500 against us. You know, we joked about how Tennessee supports that. Louisville's coaches can't even do that. Yeah. At no point. And Ray Mears has this. Mears played us twice a year. So he took, he had a double chance of losing. (laughs) So, look, 
I, I love Louisville. Look, I will still say Louisville is a top ten all-time program. Going to say it. But when you look at these rivalries, and I'm talking about Ohio State, Michigan, and even that one has lost its luster because Ohio State is what, won nine out of the last ten or something ten out of the last eleven or something like that in that rivalry. If one beats up on the other, it's, it doesn't mean anything. You know, the, the Red Sox-Yankees rivalry didn't get good until the Red Sox won and started winning World Series. Mm-hmm. You know, Auburn and Alabama is a rivalry because, like, last year, Auburn won, and Auburn has, you know, we've got Bo Jackson. We've got, you know, there, there's something on the other side. You know, Cam Newton, you know. But right now, and, and I'm not one of these people to discount, you know, the 2013 title for Louisville and the Final Four in 2012. You know, whatever. We all saw it. I know how sanctions were. I, I get that. But, I mean, they had two good years, but they were sandwiched in between Kentucky Final Fours and the 38-1 and one team. So it's like, but let me backtrack a little bit to the game on Saturday. You know, we all talked about with North Carolina, uh, the North Carolina game, would Kentucky translate that to Louisville? The answer is yes. Uh, this team is going to go as Ashton Hagen goes because he disrupts on both ends of the floor. That's number one. Number two, if Tyler Hero is making shots, uh, that makes it that makes the team even more hard to guard. Uh, what I really liked was, you know, uh, Coach Mack liked to play that pack line defense. Uh, mm-hmm. With that one, number one, his guards are six foot and six one, and Hero and Hagen are going right over the top. But there was a lineup. There was Hagen and uh, Jamal Baker in, and now you've got two guys on either side of the floor that can shoot it from deep, and that opened up the lane for everybody. So that's a lineup that I like. So if you've got Hagen's being disruptive, if you've got Baker who is, 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 is uh, if he can come with a knockdown guy, and if you've got Hero making shots, and you've got P.J. being unselfish, he only had five points, but I felt like he really controlled the paint, you know, with his, like, four or five blocks. I mean, you look at the stat line, and, and it was a thorough beating. At no point did I think we were going to lose that game while the game was going on. At no point. And I would say if you, if you polled most people, Kentucky and Louisville fans together, most people said at no point, once Kentucky got it to 5-2 or whatever it was, did we think Kentucky was going to lose. They led for 37 minutes of the game. Which you look at North Carolina, they led like 35 minutes of the game. And and if this is their mo, you you go into halftime with a double digit lead, you 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 know, you get it up to 15. Louisville got no closer than nine points. The rest of the way, if that's what they do, the same way they did against North Carolina, uh, if this is how this team is going to be. I like it. They may not beat you by 20 points. I think a different Kentucky squad might would have put a 25-point you know, win Saturday. But I like this team the way guys are filling their roles. So, uh, yeah, it's a good step in the right direction. I know a lot of people were thinking 
You know, we had Kevin Hale on a couple weeks ago. He's like, we're going to go 0-2. I was hoping for 1-1 one one over these last two games. But two convincing wins, nothing flukish about it. You know, some of our folks in red will, you know, there's always a reason Kentucky wins. You know, Kentucky wanted it more, Louisville, what, you know, whatever. It's leap year. Whatever it is, you know, it, 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 <laughs> and it hurts. Me being a, a Louisville, a native Louisvillian, that the game it's 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 uneventful. I mean, don't get me wrong. I you know I get butterflies before it, and you know Louisville hits a couple yeah. of dunks, you know, and I'm like okay. But honestly, mm-hmm. even even if Louisville wins next year, I mean it'll stink. But it's like oh, okay, you know they're due. I mean <laughs> you know they're, okay they're due for one. And you just move on. It's, it lost a lot of the stuff it had in the 90s where you're like, I want to beat these guys. And now it's like, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's just, you know, they've never beaten Kentucky three times in a row. Uh, you know, I, I would need to find the numbers. Since the Yum Center opened nine years ago, right, Louisville is 81-6 and six non-conference opponents in the Yum Center. Eighty-one and six—that's pretty good, right? Pretty Against good. Kentucky, they're two and three. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and if if Archie had a couple of more shots, they'd be three. You know, they, it'd be worse. It'd be four and one. So, yeah. the the gap is wide. You know, they like to say, you know, the football. We won't let no the basketball men's basketball. It's not even competitive, and I don't know. It'll take it'll. I think it would probably take Louisville winning three games in a row to bring it back to some kind of something. I think this game it gets in the head of the players, it gets in the head of the fans, it gets in the head of the coaches. Because, you know, especially like a game like last year, that was not a great Kentucky team. It was not a bad Louisville team. And that's the game where, mm-hmm. you know, we beat about 30 points. Yeah. It's just, it, 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 you know, that's my two cents. Yes, I'm still going to always say it's a rivalry, but, you know, it's not competitive. Oh, if Chris Mack, he'll you know he'll get it. You know, Patino was scared. Well, or Patino, you know, was too tight for the game and got the players out of it. I'm like, mm-hmm. Denny Crow was seven and thirteen, so it's not like <laughs> you. I'm like, when you say Chris Mack's going to get it, get it back to what? <laughs> Just get five hundred against Kentucky. Just get five hundred. I will help build that statue to that coach in front of the Yum Center. And, and Denny, keep in mind, which the series the series wasn't playing played in eighty, but it started in eighty three. So it, Denny had that team the year or two before his title team in eighty six. That's when the rivalry. That's when the series was renewed, and take him to the final four in eighty four. Will won a title in eighty six. His eighty team didn't play, but he was. This was Pete Denny Crum. To start off against Kentucky, to start his career against Kentucky, and you know he, he, he you know what he 
he coached until the year 2000 or whatever. Uh, so he should have been able to hold his own when you got the, the title team and then the year before and after that title team and to still end up with the lopsided losing record like he has. That's, I mean, and then we went through the studying years and the probation and then he still got a record that bad against Kentucky. And, and, and that's, I think that I've talked to some serious Louisville fans. That is the crux of all of it is, it's not like Louisville has been terrible. I mean, Denny Crum, uh, and I think it would look differently had we started playing in the 70s because Louisville had, you know, the 80 team was really, really good. 83 went to yeah. the Final Four uh, for Louisville. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, some, so, you know, so we missed some of the really, really good Louisville teams. And, uh, I mean, I would have loved to see, you know, Goose Gibbons go against, you know, uh, uh, a, a young Daryl Griffith. I think you know that kind of hurts. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know the the rivalry a little bit, but still, Hall of Fame coaches, championship winning coaches, Final Four going you know teams, and to still not be able to consistently beat Kentucky. That, mm-hmm. That's just I mean, and, and you know, and and that's with us having. Billy Gillespie for two seasons and Tubby Smith for his last couple when we weren't that great. You know, yeah. that was the time to make up ground. And now with Cal, honestly, and I know I'm on a soapbox, but I've been passionate about this, so bear with me. This is what typically look, uh, a Kentucky Louisville game looks like, and this is going back to 1983. For the most part, Kentucky is always the most, is more talented. For the most part, when you look at game by game by game, roster by roster, most of the time you might pick one, two, maybe three Kentucky guys before you would pick a Louisville guy. That's the issue is that year in, year out, there's a talent gap. And that's what Louisville needs to, 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 to work on is, is, is Coach Craig, Craig Mack. Oh man! Don't ah. uh, rest, rest in peace, Craig. Mack. Coach Chris Mack, is he going to be able to to change that, or is he going to be able to, uh, uh, you know, be like Patino and scheme to negate a little bit of that talent? You know, that remains to be seen. Uh, but the, the the talent gap is going to be there. I think as long as Cal is here, he's going to have the talent. Uh, what hurts? also is with Cal, with the game being at the end of the calendar year, uh, Kentucky is, is, I think, more ready. You know, they, we played our big games. We, you know, fans hate going that, you know, one game a week. But they go through Coach Cal or Camp Cal. You know, they are able to work on things. You know, we saw a little bit of a full-court press. We saw some different things offensively that Kentucky was able to do. I mean, I, I don't think that, that Baker and Hero had been on the court at the same time together all season until that point. So it, it just it stinks that, that Louisville has to play us when Cal and company are finally figuring out how things are going to go. <laughs> I mean, it, I think it, was, it, 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 it sucks, but that's what happened. I think it was the hard connect guy. Card Chron- I get them mixed up. Mike Rutherford's Card Connect or something. 
tweeted out that cause I think I retweeted that of course something like of course Tyler Hero <laughs> would go off against us or something like that. And because we've been waiting for him, shots to fall, uh, been getting some good looks. Jamal Baker had two. I mean, he was open. I think he was too wide open. Two looks. I know you were there. You saw it. Nobody near him. Uh, took a long rebound, kicked out to him. One, they just found him over there, and he missed both of them. He hit one from the top of the key, but missed a couple where he was just nobody near him. But uh, Hero had it rolling, had 24 points, which was more than a third of the points Kentucky scored, and there's 71. Uh, to see him find his rhythm right as we head into conference play is definitely a good thing going forward as well. Yeah, and it's just different. And I think part of it, especially for for the home game for Louisville, it's a just it's a tense atmosphere, and, and and Cal talked about it post game that you know yes he wants to beat Seton Hall he gets that you know the, the, I don't think that was what he was saying but he was saying that it's nice to play games where people have just as much to lose as you do you know Seton Hall you yeah. know they were supposed to beat Kentucky and you get a guy that had hit a three all year get ridiculous and hit a double clutch three to win the game. I mean, that's ridiculous. Or or the kid that hit like seven or eight threes against us that hasn't hit seven or eight threes, you know, <laughs> you know, since then. It happens. But North Carolina, yeah, that's a game that North Carolina's got to pay attention to. Louisville wants that game as much as Kentucky. And so it's it's a, these last two games have been a good warm-up for the Cats playing against teams that, you know, maybe just as tense to you, maybe just as talented. And and for me, it was they have put the Duke game behind them. Because what I didn't want to see was big game shyness because of that Duke game. You know, I said at the time with the Duke game, don't get caught up in the 34 points. Once it got to 20 and it kind of stopped being a game, you know, right around halftime, you know, we made, tried to make a push after halftime. It just became, you know, it could be 40, it could be 20. It was a butt kick and, and you move on, right? It just, I didn't want that to linger for the rest of the big games on the schedule. And it didn't. I mean, they came out, the Cats came out laser focused these last two games. And if they do that, and if PJ can be a poor man's Draymond Green and infect, uh, affect the game, uh, only scoring five points. I think he only scored eight points against North Carolina. If he's going to do that and be a willing passer, oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I really yeah. like this team getting to Minneapolis. I really like it. Uh, so, and, and Cal, he was swaggy after the game because he kept talking. Eric Lindsay tried to wrap him up a few times. He kept taking questions. <laughs> and, and, his, and he specifically – started talking about some of the Big Blue Nation and the chirping and all this kind of stuff. And people may take it personal. I've seen some people talk about why is he so antagonistic? Because everybody started questioning the way he built his program after the Seton Hall game. It became a topic of conversation everywhere. And that to me just is like, that is so, what have you done for me lately? I can't even process it. 
the way he runs his program puts four banners up in Rupp Arena. I mean, what do you – what? I just – you know, this program has lost its bojo since 2015. <laughs> we haven't had any talent or any fun. Have you seen what Jamal Murray's doing in Denver? <laughs> Have you seen De'Aaron Fox having Sacramento be yeah, – if the playoffs started today, I think they'd be in for the first time in 10, 12 years. Really? No yeah. talent. Malik Monk is finally getting some run. Oh, have you seen what Kevin Knox? I mean, what do you? Like, we've had talent. What are you talking about? You know, if Luke May misses yeah. that shot against North Carolina, we're not having this conversation. So Cal has, has every right to be. Hey, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Yes, the, the last two seasons didn't end like we wanted them to. But what? The way I'm building the program. What? So yeah, yeah, I love how he, he doesn't read it, doesn't pay attention to it, but he's, he's still like Tony or somebody or Dwayne lets him know, if it's something I need to know, I'll address it. But he, he, and look, they don't steal his joy, but he did feel he needed to to address that. So I saw you put it up on him, uh, Facebook Live, the press conference, and put it up on the show page, and that was that was cool to see. You'd be there for all that. Absolutely. And, and it was just a good win, a, a great win. You've got to feel good heading into the uh, SEC, uh, you know, the, the meat of the SEC schedule. Uh, I mean, in my mind, you know, people like, oh, the SEC's got some good teams. Look, there's one thing I can definitively say. And this has been true in the 80 years of the SEC as a conference. Kentucky gets everybody's best shot every game. People get tired of Cal and it's talking about being everybody's Super Bowl. But when it comes to the SEC, absolutely we're the hunted. Absolutely. And it doesn't matter okay. if Nerland gets hurt. It doesn't matter if we're on probation. It doesn't matter. Everybody's gunning for Kentucky. That should be – when you sign your letter of intent, that should be like, hey, when you play in the SEC, everybody's coming for you. That's just a given to me. Like, mm-hmm. you know, talking about Kentucky's going to get all everybody's best shot, that, that's not a news flash to me. We, you know, the, I will stop saying we're everybody's Super Bowl when they stop doing the T-shirts when Kentucky comes to town and when the games when Kentucky comes to town aren't your only sellout. If the only time you sell out when Kentucky yeah. comes down and you do T-shirt giveaways, shut up. And it's like that wherever we go. I, I Can you stop retiring former players' jerseys when Kentucky comes to town? You know, because you know people having are ceremonies. Yeah, having ceremonies for former players when Kentucky's in town. And like I said, Dale Ellis, Bernard King, uh, Bernie, and Ernie. Ray Mears, it's always, you know, whether I'm covering the game or going as a fan through the years, talking about arena, and you already know, whenever they do whatever they're going to do for Chris Lofton, that'll be when Kentucky's in town. Allen Houston, same thing when Allen Houston was there. They brought him back for Kentucky also. (laughs) Right, and it's like that wherever you go. You know, people get tired of Cal saying their Super Bowl, and and, and I I think they misinterpret it. Because they always start chirping, you know, after the Duke game, 
or North Carolina or Louisville. That's not what Cal's saying. Look, Duke, Kentucky, Duke, North, or, uh, North Carolina, Kentucky, Louisville, you know, the Kansas game, those matchups stand up on their own. He's talking about yeah. South Carolina. He's talking about Missouri. Mm-hmm. He's talking about going down to Ole Miss. He's talking about Mississippi State. He's, that's what he's talking about is he doesn't have to get his team hyped up for the Louisville game. He doesn't have to get his team hyped up for the North Carolina game. The challenge is, and if you talk to any of the any of the Kentucky players, you know, going back decades, the challenge is those trip up games that you lose, you know, in Starkville, that you lose, you know, uh, in uh, wherever Ole Miss is, um, Oxford, you know, those mm-hmm. random Vanderbilt. You know, if you look at like. You know, oh, Vanderbilt, I think, has, has, has played Kentucky closer than anybody. They don't always win, but for my money, the games at Vanderbilt are always a little too close, right? Yeah. <laughs> the Vanderbilt mm-hmm. games is always something weird where you're like, this is just not – what is going on here? You know, this head-scratcher game. <laughs> so, if, if you don't want Cal to say, hey, we're everybody's Super Bowl, then stop acting like the Super Bowl is coming to town when Kentucky comes down. Like you had if you Muhammad threw it, yeah, Muhammad threw it up off the top of the backboard, and they it dropped, and that's how they beat him that one year. I mean, yeah, right. So, and it's always weird in South Carolina. South Carolina's become a a place where it's like weird stuff happens. You know, you know that was the year Cal got thrown out, and then it was the you know when when Aaron Harrison said, "Hey, we're not letting this happen again." and you know, Cal got thrown out, and Tyler Ulis became a coach on the. South Carolina has become a weird place too. So look, all I'm saying is, you don't want Cal to keep saying this stuff. Stop doing it. That's all I'm saying. If you ask me, say stop it. doing it. <laughs> That's right. So Alabama Saturday, one o'clock, down in Tuscaloosa. I thought Alabama had lost more games than this. They are nine and three. Uh, one of them is a bad loss. Georgia State, which and look, the SEC is a lot better in basketball, but Georgia State has beaten both Alabama and Georgia, and in you know early non-conference portion of the season, and I was like, yeesh, that's that's not that's not saying a lot for us supposed to be a better conference this year when Georgia State just out here punking teams. But they lost to UCF, Alabama did, UCF and Georgia State back-to-back. And they also lost to Northeastern. So uh, it's the first year after Colin Sexton in 9-3. The Coleman Coliseum, I mean, they they get 15,000 or so in there. They'll be fired up, you know, what what few Alabama fans are still in town that aren't headed to Santa Clara, the home of your Niners, for the national championship game. They'll be fired up and amped up for Kentucky on Saturday afternoon. Right, and 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 Alabama's been a tough place to play. You know, I remember those Rod Grizzard teams of you know the early two thousands <laughs> and whatnot. So yeah, no, or that Irwin Dudley. You remember that guy? There was like a double double yeah. for for Bama way back then. Yeah, he was fun. So, sure so you know, Cal's got they've got to go on the road. Uh, you know, I don't know if they'll play in a tougher road environment because it was pretty, it was pretty heady on Saturday, even though it was a little tense. 
So, you know, you've got to feel encouraged with the way that the team is right now. Uh, you know, people, well, remember how they were against Duke. Look, man, that was like a month and a half ago, two months ago, whatever it was. Look at what they're doing right now. Look at what they have been doing. We've, we've got our rotation. And, and Hagen, and let's talk about that play where uh, uh, he caught the ball out of the air. I don't, do you know if you yeah. know that one? We'll just bring the ball. <laughs> I wasn't even – I was sitting, uh, sitting next to Curtis Burge, and I'm like, you know, trying to tweet something. And I just said, everybody just go, ooh. And I said, what happened? <laughs> you know, I, had to catch it. Uh, I had to catch it on the replay. Like, like what? I mean, that's the kind of stuff when we talk about, you know, having a shot blocker that changes the game. It's the shots that he blocks, but it's also the shots that people don't even attempt. That's what Hagen's is on defense. You know, we saw against North Carolina where, I mean, they were just turning the ball over, just couldn't even inbound it on a simple inbound play. He was in their head. And the same thing happened against Louisville. I think what I'd like to see moving forward quickly uh, has, has, has got to kind of fill that role. He's got to be that other point guard. He may not be able to do what Hagens does defensively, but I think offensively he, he can kind of fill that void, you know, and whatnot. Uh, I'd like to see that. Baker become more of a uh, – like you said, there were a couple of shots. You know, he was too wide open. You, you know, we've got to knock those down. Uh, you know, Reed Travis didn't have a great game against Louisville. But, you know, playing that pack line defense, that allowed our bigger guards just to get to the rim at will. You know, uh, I tweet out that Hagen's has got to be able to finish. You know, he's getting to the lane and missed some easy ones. And as soon as I tweeted that out, he hit like three or four in a row. So if he's able to finish at the rim, my goodness, that opens up everything. So this team is getting better. This team, they're finding their roles. They're trusting each other. The ball movement has been ridiculously good as far as assists to shots, attempted shots made, uh, you, you have to like it. They get to the free throw line. They rebound. Things that, hey, that's what championship teams do. So, you know, I, I'm not a gambling man, but, you know, I'd still put my money. I don't think anything's changed from the preseason. I still feel this team can get to Minneapolis. I, I, and nothing I haven't seen so far says that that's not accurate. Right. The end, where you hear some maybe say Cal overreacted, but some say Hagens was calm. Some say the Louisville guy was trying to talk and bait him into something. Cal got him and, and, and got up in him for even maybe having a desire to be baited into a little something. Did you see the telling of that? Are you already headed to the media room or, or as far as a little back and forth potential jawing that was going on at the end? Okay. I'm sorry. I muted myself. I just sneezed. Uh, for my, you know, my, my thing is Cal has to get – because this is what happens. When you're the more talented team, the other, your opposition is going to muck it up, right? That's what Patino was famous for. We're going to grind it and muck it up. We're going to, you know, poke at you and prod you because we're not as talented. So I think the lesson to be learned was for Hagen's like, yes, we're going to win this game. Don't, don't 
engage in that. Don't let a bad decision affect you and the rest of the team because that's going to be the MO going forward. Teams that aren't as talented are going to clutch and grab and poke and prize. That's just going to be the way it works. So I think it was a lesson for that game, a lesson for, you know, this is how it's going to go the rest of the year. You know, when we go to Tuscaloosa, when we go to Knoxville, well, actually I think Tennessee, you know, is, is pretty talented. But when we go on the road, yeah. it, this is how it's going to be. Guys are going to try to get under your skin. You've got to stay focused on the game plan for 40 minutes. And I think that was more of a preemptive kind of thing than anything else. I didn't see anything egregious that Hagens did, but I, I think he was just saying, okay, look, we got to keep our heads about it for, for a full 40 yeah. minutes. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. he was, dude was trying to bait him, and I know he talked about it in the press conference. And it's like you said, that's for this past Saturday. But for all the other tricks, you know, don't get you, don't let yourself get hooked into something silly, because teams aren't gonna try you. Right, and and that that that's all that was, because uh, that's gonna be something mm-hmm. you gotta keep in mind. Uh, because, you know, Hagen, you know, he's going to get bumped. There's going to be a little extra uh, on, um, you know, when he's going through over picks and that kind of stuff. But you've got to stay focused on, on our game plan. Uh, so I, I feel better, and I think Big Blue Nation feels better about that. I know, you know, we want to obviously compete in the SEC, as we always do. Obviously, you know, the Kansas games are going to be huge. Definitely want to, you know, uh, uh, get off the little schneid we're on to Kansas and and and, and take care of the Jayhawks. But I, I still mm-hmm. feel good uh, about about this team uh, because, now, like I said, you you, you see what guys are going to do. You see what, you know, who's responsible for what, who's doing this, that, and the other. And if it, the key is if PJ is going to be uh, a, a, a willing passer, a willing defender, a willing rebounder. I mean that opens up everything to what Kentucky yeah. wants to do, and 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 like Cal said after the game, I mean, if you pay attention to what happens here, you know that that, that it's not bad, and that's what kills me. Opposing fans and even people in the Big Blue Nation, well, you know what is you know Cal is, you know, he should have two more titles. Yeah, yeah, probably, but you know who else should have two more titles? Every coach that's ever coached basketball. I mean, you can look at, you can go through every big name college coach, every one of them, and say, you know, on this particular team, should have won a championship. That even even the 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 saintly John Wooden had some years, probably should have won another title. Coach K, I no. know, because he went to like eight Final Fours before he finally won. Bob Knight, yes. Roy Williams, yes. Dean Smith had Michael Jordan on campus for three years. Are you kidding me? Yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, it, 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 and you know, people like to just all that talent that uh, that Coach Cal had. All those coaches have had talent. Every single one of them had talent. You have to have talent nope. to win a championship. That's right. Every coach like you tweeted. Mm-hmm. Like you tweeted, 
UCLA, which is a segue to that since you mentioned Wooden, has been Wooden and not much else because they just showed Steve Alford the door. They had lost four in a row, just lost to Liberty at home, and got ran in the process. Uh, I don't know if that's Gardner-Webb level for them, but he didn't make it through the season. A lot of the players weren't really fans of his. Uh, and like you mentioned, you know, outside of that one that Jim Herrick won, you know, not much has been going on out there for UCLA. Ben Howland got them to a title game against Florida, I think, or something. But those ten with Jabbar and Al Sender, excuse me, and Walton, and you know that run that he went on, that's that's been about it. And 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 honestly. It's one of those things, when you talk blue blood, LA obviously gets mentioned. They, I think they have to get mentioned, more titles, so yes. But when you look at kind of all the other quote-unquote blue bloods, you know, UCLA has only had one Hall of Fame coach. We've, Kentucky's had three. You know, North Carolina's had what three or four and Kansas has had, you know, from Williams to self, uh, they've had some success. Although Kansas, you know, you want to talk about a program probably should have won more titles. You need to put Kansas on that list before you start talking about coach Cal, but that's a, you know, that's for another day. Uh, but UCLA has had just not even, I mean, just nondescript years. Yeah. I know they went to three straight final fours. I, I got you. But you, you want to tell me that you could have gotten you couldn't gotten to something a little bit more out of Russell Westbrook and Kevin Love, really? <laughs> or I mean, uh, you know, Darren Collins, like what? Aaron Aflalo, like you could? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, people again, people like to point to Cal. Yeah, they all should, and that's the point I try to make. It's not that I think Coach Cal is the best coach ever. I don't subscribe to that theory. But every coach leaves titles on the table. There's, every coach has three or four seasons, if you've been coaching for a long time, where you're like, man, why didn't that team win? You know, even Nolan Richardson, I think, left some titles on the table. And, and Jim Beheim. I don't know how mm-hmm. that guy gets to skate by without anything. And what he's done in 40 years, Kyle's done in eight. Like, I don't like, – you know, four Final Fours in the title and, and a runner-up. Well, how that's, you know, Cal did that, and it takes Blaheim, and he had some great players. Not good. He had Derek Coleman on campus. What? <laughs> Lawrence Moses on campus. The Big East, old Big East. Billy Owens. Billy Owens on Owens. campus. What? Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm mean, like, what? Oh. And, Pearl, and, and, no, Sherman and, Douglas. Pearl Washington. Sherman Douglas. Yes. Oh, yeah. what? Are you kidding me? So yeah. So, <laughs> but look, look Terry, it, Terry, Terry, that the Keith Smart jumper was so devastating, and if Keith Smart <laughs> misses, well then that's one less Bobby Knight has. Can't you I, see? I guess. But <laughs> but every coach, every coach has that 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 kind of thing. But UCLA <laughs> is just weird. The fans don't care. Like they can't sell out. You know, right. their 10,000-seat renovated Poly Pavilion. So if you're talking about a blue blood, 
you know, it's 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 newsworthy when there's less than twenty thousand people in Rupp Arena during an ice storm. That's newsworthy. Yeah. You know, Carolina sells mm-hmm. out the Dean Smith Center. Uh, Fog Island Fieldhouse is always at capacity, and even Duke's, you know, crappy little, you know, uh, uh, Cameron yeah. Indoor facility. Yeah. But the thing is, UCLA mm-hmm. they don't care, and, and that to me keeps them from being even top three as far as as, as you know fandoms go. Yeah. You know, I I tweet out yeah. a lot of stuff. I bash a lot of fan bases, but I have never had any UCLA fan up in my mentions. Like, it's never happened. (laughs) I've had Kansas people find a tweet. I've had, uh, you know, Duke fans, Carolina fans, of course, Louisville fans. To my surprise, the strangest, I had UTEP fans in my mentions. I've never had UCLA people say, hey, you know, UCLA's got more titles. Like they can play the they can play the rings card, but they don't even do that because they don't care. Yeah. Can you imagine if and when, and I think it's a matter of when, if you know, if Kentucky is able to become number one all time title, you know how insufferable Man. Kentucky fans will be. <laughs> we're insufferable right now, and we're yeah. just number two. That's true. That's true. You, you let us get to, to uh, twelve. Let, no, just let us get to eleven. You know how insufferable we're going to be. Very, a lot more insufferable. But usually they don't care. So it's just a, it's a whole lot of math. They've had a whole lot of of, of games. You know, you know, losing the. You know, they lost that game to Princeton, and just there's just been a. As far as blue bloods go, they've just had more head scratchers than even deep tournament runs lately. Yeah, for sure. Got to hit on Black Sunday, Black Monday real quick because a quarter of the NFL is out of work right now as far as head coaches. There's eight openings. The one that I guess jumps out at me the most, the Bengals, Marvin Lewis was probably on borrowed time for five or six years. You've been there 16 years and never won a playoff game. So I know Bengals fans, look, you hate to see people lose their job. And when Marvin got hired, he was the hot defensive coordinator with all he did with the Ravens coming over to Cincinnati. Never could quite get over the hump. You know, there was uh, the year Carson Palmer gets hurt early against the Steelers. Maybe that, you know, if he stays healthy, maybe they could have made a run with that team. You know, whole Chad Johnson, T.J. Houston's out of years and just weren't able to, to produce like you would have thought, losing playoff games to the Texans or whoever they would get knocked out by. So they finally move on from Marvin Lewis, and I saw where they interviewed and, look, man, maybe, maybe you should go college route. Maybe there's better guys in the NFL. I'm seeing Mike McCarthy get interviewed. But Vance Joseph from the Broncos just got fired from Denver after two years. I think he went 11 and 21. Cincinnati's bringing him in for an interview when the dude hasn't really done anything. And, look, you know, minority head coaches need to have an opportunity. But this guy's just like 
Marvin on the smaller sample size. It's getting worse than Marvin. So, I mean, it's, it'd be kind of the most biggest thing ever if they were to hire him. I mean, if you go do that, just keep Marvin. Well, this is my thing. I, I think everybody that followed NFL any length of time kind of said that Marvin Lewis needed to go. It just he needed to go from Cincinnati. What I have a issue or question about is the glee with which Bengals fans are 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 kind of celebrating his being gone. I'm old enough to remember when the Bengals were, I mean, a laughing stock for 15 years. You know, seven wins was like their their, their most win total for like a 14, 15 year period. They lost Super Bowl 23 to the San Francisco 49ers where Jerry Rice was MVP, 11 catches, 215 yards, and a touchdown. They lose that game. And then they, they're just, I mean, dreadful. David Klingler and Achilles Smith and Bruce Coslett and, and, and all this kind of stuff. Like, okay, I think it's fair to say it was time for Marvin Lewis to go, but he, he did – Bring the franchise up. I, I think you tip your hat, say thank you, and move on. I just don't understand the glee about that. Because the Bengals were bad for a long time before he got there. So I don't understand that. I, I don't understand coaches getting one or two years and, and being gone. That, to me, is a little weird when the NFL yeah. – is, is it's about players, and, and no, none, of, none of these GMs are, are firing themselves. I mean, you look at the That's roster true. of the Jets, you look at the roster of the Cardinals outside of Larry Fitzgerald, you you look at that, and you just, Ooh. what? You know, and, yeah. and, and John Elway, you know, you know, after he was gifted, basically Peyton Manning, uh, and won yeah. that Super Bowl, and, and has just been uh, – you know, the Brock Osweiler and, and, and Paxton, you know, at some point, these guys have to take responsibility. The coach can only do so much, but that's what the NFL has, has become, uh, unfortunately. That's it. That's it. We definitely had to hit on that real quick. We'll see what happens and who moves on and rumors for Brian Kelly might go to Tampa Bay done all he can do at Notre Dame. We'll, we'll see. Um, oh, out of, you know, Cowboys got a tough game against Seattle. Glad they won the division. Glad to get the host. But Russell Wilson and them, it's going to be a tough out like they always are. This was supposed to be a, quote, rebuilding year for them. They started off 0-2. And, you know, they get it turned around. And are, they are very dangerous and very hot coming into Dallas. Uh, and, you know, speaking of teams that should have more than one Super Bowl, they should have won another one, had the Patriots beat, experienced. You're not going to be able to rattle Russell Wilson. You know, he's seen everything there is to see, and that's a scary thing. And, but, you know, I hope the Cowboys can pull it off. But they need to get a win, but we talked about it at the Epps. You know, we want to see at least get a playoff win, but, you're going to have to beat Seattle because they're not going to beat themselves again. They did that once in that one Super Bowl. I'm not giving it to Marshawn. They're not going to beat themselves again. 
I think Kentucky beats Alabama, I'm going to say it's like 77-68, and get off the conference play uh, with a 1-0 and start with a road win in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, uh, you know, I, you know, I'm gonna watch the playoffs. I, I think maybe your Cowboys can get it done. You know, I know it's been a while since they won a playoff game, but uh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but you know, I, I think that the NFC is kind of wide open. Uh, you know, New Orleans hasn't looked great. I, I think you know, probably the betting money is probably on the Rams. Uh, but I, you know, do they have you know what it takes? I'm not really sold on New Orleans because they've looked eminently beatable uh, here lately. So you know, and when it comes to the AFC, I'm not going to believe the Patriots are done until the Patriots lose. I mean, at this point, I, I it, betting against them that's that's fool's money that you, if you're going to try to do that. So I'm not going to do that. Uh, so. I, I think this is a pretty as, as wide open as the NFL playoffs have been in a long time. I think there's any team that doesn't have a pretty big question mark, you know, uh, on their resume. Yeah, for sure. So it's going to be fun to see uh, see how it all plays out, and can Kansas City make a run? Can San Diego make a run? Philip Rivers is. Been around a long time, doesn't have many good years left. They got to go across the country to Baltimore. Young Lamar Jackson has supplanted Joe Flacco. Uh, something got to give there. Baltimore just beat San Diego in San Diego a couple weeks ago. Now we get a rematch in the playoffs. Um, I want to see the Chiefs get on a good run, like Patrick Mahomes, his 50 touchdown passes. Speaking of coaching searches, our guy, uh, Eric Bieniemy, we grew up watching him run the ball, and he's getting a lot of credit for Kansas City's offense and the success of Mahomes. He's up for a lot of interviews, so if he finds one of his liking, I don't see him being the Chiefs offensive coordinator much longer. Uh, so hopefully they can have a good playoff run before, in my opinion, he moves on to become a head coach. Um, so it'll be a lot of fun. You know, the wild card weekend, divisional playoffs, it's that time of year already. Um, and, you know, college basketball is rolling. NBA is rolling as well. Um, LeBron James felt that he was the GOAT after taking down the 73-9 Warriors. I said he should have said it then, but he did say it a couple of years later on the More Than an Athlete show that he's on ESPN+. Plus. So that was interesting. LeBron is so polarizing, so he'll catch heat and be debates about that. Uh, those statements going forward that he just talked about. Uh, hope he can get back healthy for your Lakers as the West is wide open uh, and they can be up in the mix the rest of the way uh, to see who those eight teams are to finally jump in there and grab that. Yeah, I, you know, I got no problem with LeBron saying it. Uh, I, 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 I mean, I, I don't think he's downplayed the, the the being the goat debate, I don't think he's demurred any. I, I you know, I think he should say it. Uh, I, mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't I, I don't have a problem with it at all. Uh, I don't either. I mean, I don't think 
even at the time after they won, I, I to me I thought that he was. I, if I, I'd have to look it up, but I think he pretty much said that, hey, nobody has done this, but, you know, after beating yeah. the, the 73 and nine Warriors in seven games. So, I, you know, it's, I don't know if he's ever explicitly said, I'm the greatest. Like, I don't know, but he has yeah. not. He, if you read what he says, it's not like he doesn't think he, he's the greatest. He's been, you know, kind of throwing around it and, and and not being so subtle about it for years. And at this point, I think with LeBron finally saying it, he's at the point now, he's like, I don't care. No matter what I do, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to catch it. So I might as well say what I believe. He's he's at that point of his career because nothing he does the remainder of his career, he could win three more titles in LA. Nothing he does is going to change his perception. If you think Michael Jordan is the greatest, nothing LeBron James does is going to change your mind. If you think LeBron is the greatest, three more titles are only going to add to your your belief. <laughs> That's true. And if you're like me, you think it's a little bit more nuanced because why is Kareem talked about then, you know, it, nothing's going to change at this point. You know, we've dissected LeBron since he was a junior in high school. And he's, I think he's at the point now, I'm not going to watch what I say. If I think I'm the greatest, I will say I'm the greatest. Because it doesn't really change anything. You know, this is the barbershop debate that will never be answered. You know, that, yeah. that's just the way it is. Uh you know, it's it's the one that comes up. It, you can tell when ESPN's having a dry spell because they'll they'll bring it up on the talk shows. You know, it's it's a debate it. that I think it, it just it just won't. You know, for my money, when you talk about quarterbacks, uh, I think and maybe this is the San Francisco Homer in me. I think Joe Montana and Tom Brady. I think that's a debate. I think it's yeah. I know Brady's five and three or whatever in the Super Bowl, but I, I still think that Joe Montana is, is is in that conversation. I think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, people get so entrenched. LeBron's like, no matter what I do, it won't change. LeBron can win the next four yeah. or five titles in a row. It won't change one iota because he's already lost. He's already this. He already passed to this person. <laughs> he, you know, he doesn't score. You know, people already have it made up. No matter what LeBron does on the court, people the Jordan fans already have a counter argument to him. I mean, it, it, it just it is what it is at this point. So LeBron's like, you know what? I think I am the best. So I, I don't see Real quick. Right, I got you. I got um, and I just missed him saying it definitively a couple of years ago. I was like just just telling your Ali on the court, but like you said, he kind of he has more so than I've given him credit for. Uh-oh. Real quick, you go with Alabama or Clemson? Part four, they are just better than everybody else in college football. Kind of like Celtics Lakers used to be back in the day. Alabama's won twice. Clemson got them one time with Sean Watson for a title. Round four, who you got? 
I think Alabama. I, I don't know Clemson's offense can get it done enough. I know Alabama looked a little, you know, against – but it was a trophy winner that, you know, put some points. But you say this about Alabama. When, you know, they went 28 nothing, and, and, and Oklahoma yeah. is doing their thing. You know, all, I saw all these tweets. Well, you know, if you ignore the 28 to nothing start, that is what Alabama's become. When people are like, well, you know, if you just look at the second and third quarter, Alabama's on the road, they're kind of beatable. No, no, that's not the way it works. If you're going to beat Alabama, which Clemson has done, you have to do the percentage. And that's where Georgia didn't get it done last year or this year, so they need to sit down and Mm -hmm. shut up. I'm going to Alabama. I just, you know, it's safe money. Uh, but, yeah, well, you know, and, and Shannon Sharp had a great point with, with Murray for Oklahoma. He really got going when the game was already 28 to nothing. And he didn't complete his first pass to a 21 to nothing. So, I mean, so, the, so I mean the come on. Different the Heisman Trophy winner didn't complete his first pass, so they were three touchdowns in the hole. And, and people are like, well, the defense gave it up. Look, man. Look, you, <laughs> if you're playing on them. You don't have to I, I, it just, it just, it boggles my mind. You know, uh, if it wasn't, I mean, people were being legitimate. Well, you know, since it was 28 nothing, really? I mean, I mean, that was, that's like Dale Brown in, in 1996, you know, out 86.1 first half. That'd be pretty. Like, what? You can't yeah. be selective with that. It's the whole game. Well, you know. That's right. You know, for that five minutes, you know, it was, no, no, that, no, it doesn't work like that. Uh, because, you know, people can talk about, you know, it, 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 Alabama or whatnot. Look, kids, as is, is, is Coach Coward reminds us, kids are not robots. And you're at 28 and you know you've got another game play, you're going to relax a little bit. And for my money, I think Saban is going to practice those guys enough where they're going to be like, yeah, we don't need to do that again. And I think they're going to be focused for Clemson. I, I really do. Uh, people don't like because it's Clemson, yeah. Alabama again. Beat them. Thank you. Georgia had, a chance. Georgia had the opportunity last year and this year to beat them. Georgia let – basically, Georgia let two cold quarterbacks come in and beat them. They let Jalen Hurts go out last year and Tua come in and beat him. And they let Tua get hurt in a cold Jalen Hurts. I mean, his first couple of plays were for first downs. Like, what are you doing? Beat them. That's how you yeah. end it. Beat them. Exactly. Exactly. Well, we have had a ball. It's been a fast two hours. Citrus Bowl reflection. Cats versus Cards reflection with NFL mixed in. Our two cents on the college football playoff. I think Alabama will win also. Uh, you and I will also, I believe, be on Shooting from the Lift Sunday with our guy Kevin Hale, who was just on here with us a couple weeks ago. So that'll be fun to chop it up a little bit more and talk some more. Such as bowl, I'm sure. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to talk it up and, and have a good old time with that. Love talking to, uh, to Kevin, so – 
another good show. We have a lot to cover. Citrus Bowl, Louisville game, a little bit of everything. A little bit of potpourri. That's right. Thanks to uh, Michelle Morton, who tweeted in that she was listening from Arizona. So I was like, Michelle, Michelle don't be sitting still for nothing. She is traveling the country, always doing something. But still appreciate her taking time to listen out there on the West Coast, where a few days ago it was snowing out there. So I wonder what kind of weather she's getting. But thanks for listening on vacation in Arizona, Michelle. Looking forward to the conference play this weekend, NFL playoffs. I can't wait till Monday for the title game. I'm not one that's fatigued from Alabama and Clemson. The build-up to the game is always fun, and I love how they do it with all the coaches sitting around. You can have to split screens different ways. I always learn so much stuff just watching the coaches kicking it as they watch a game. And they just drop knowledge without even trying. But you always learn something from whoever they have on the panel. Absolutely, absolutely. Had a blast, man. Have a good weekend. Glad you got to be at Yum for another win over the cards. Appreciate all the perspective. The article was cool about it on Caramel's Radio as well. And we'll talk at you Sunday, if not before, on Shooting from the Left. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody, for listening. That's it. And y'all catch us tomorrow on the replay, 12 Ounce Sports, on Thursday and Saturday. And hit us up on iTunes. Give us a rating and a review. And let us know that you like the show and subscribe as well. From Man Terry TV Brown, this is Vinnie Hardy. We'll see y'all next week.